decoded. Welcome to this episode of the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. I am delighted on this episode to be talking to Tom Lawrence, who's the founder of MVPR, a new Founder Tech platform looking at how PR, comms, media, content, and a basic general awareness around founders and their startups can be reimagined and repurposed in a very, very sort of classic founder tech way, taking legacy systems, legacy ideas that have kind of held back a lot of the potential of the conversation, the market, traction, how early founders get evaluated, and actually can be seen completely different, almost with a, a different function or an additional function to uh, its traditional, uh, how it's traditionally been framed. So, Tom. Uh, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, why don't we start with those legacy systems and uh, talk about how you saw, uh, I guess, the inefficiencies in those legacy systems and why you've launched your platform? Sure, Dan, thanks for having me on. Um, so the context um, for which we, we kind of built MVP on top of was I've been working in the industry, the, the PR industry, for about 10 years um, and worked across a, a, a breadth of different kinds of companies, um, mostly in agencies, um, small ones. I worked at the world's largest PR agency, which is called Edelman. Um, and uh, along the way, I helped consult sort of early stage companies on how to set up their comm strategies. And while I was at Edelman, um, we created a department called Emerge, um, which was set up to serve mostly early stage startups. Um, and we had the privilege of building it largely from scratch. And so we went out to, yeah, tons and tons of startups. And basically in the early days, you know, didn't really know what we wanted to build. And so we built the services around, um, yeah, the customer interviews, I guess, that we were doing at the time. And we would speak with, I'd have the most amazing days where, you know, one day you'd speak with a sort of pre-seed stage founder looking to share a press release about their funding announcement. And then later on in the same day, you'd talk with a you know, post-IPO unicorn stage company that wants to talk about their internal crisis communications infrastructure. Um, and naturally, we, you know, at Edelman, we tended to work with the larger, the larger companies. Um, but it didn't stop me from speaking with literally hundreds of stage startups. And for most startups, um, yeah, working with an Edelman is yeah untenable because it's so expensive. And so in those moments where we've, we found a company that was doing something really interesting, um, we would try and refer them into boutique agencies or freelancers that we thought were the right fit and the right vertical. Um, and we nearly always had founders come back and say, look, we, d- we still don't want to be spending three or four grand a month on a freelancer or, or a boutique agency. Do you have a you know a tech platform we can build on top of or a knowledge base that, that we can have access to? You know, we have a you know a COO in-house or a, a CMO or even a content lead in-house that has time for this, they just don't have the experience and the knowledge. And so so you know, we looked internally and we we didn't have a tech platform or um yeah, or a knowledge base. And so I actually looked for one. Um at the time I, I thought, frankly, someone's probably built this. Um you know, taking PR basically all the way back to the bare bones and building it like brick by brick so that it can be understood by anybody. Um, and I couldn't find anything. Um, there are plenty of tools out there for agencies um, and people who are already uh, knowledgeable in the space to use, but nothing that really takes it from zero to one. 
um, so to speak, and educates companies on exactly how to do it themselves. And so, so we began to yeah build MVPR um, and left Edelman, um, created the MVP, and um, yeah, kind of the rest is history. Um, but the challenge, I guess, in terms of like drilling into the legacy technology specifically, or sorry, the legacy services specifically, um, is that agencies deliberately gatekeep this information because the industry is effectively a, it's a it's a middleman industry. You have a company that wants to share content with with journalists, and frankly, you've got journalists that want to find content. And there has you know there is this now this this yeah this middleman essentially that wants is it. Is trying to explain to the company how to get into the press. This kind of advisory layer, um, which is, you know, they're not focused on being as efficient as they possibly can um, because they charge by the hour and their expensive rates are that. Um, and all of this information is, is, is gatekept with the advisory. And so when you, as a startup, you might hire an agency or somebody external uh, to help you with say sending an announcement out or sending a sharing thought leadership, for example. Um, but then the knowledge of how to do that always stays external. And so you're always reliant on that, yeah, that agency or, or the freelancer to help you to get again in the future. Um, and they're not interested either in making those introductions to journalists directly to you because of course they do themselves out of a job. And so you always end up with this like awkward situation where, and I've been in this personally as a, as a uh, sort of, yeah, PR freelancer and also as a as um, somebody working in an agency, I've been in a situation where you you have basically founders with really interesting content on one side and journalists that are desperate to find really interesting content on the other side, and really all they want to do is speak. Um, and you're kind of like positioning yourselves in the middle. You do things like always attend calls where there are journalists attending, even though everyone knows that it kills the vibe. And so, when you have literally, you know thousands of journalists on one side and thousands of founders on the other side. It just made the most sense to build a marketplace that connected them um, and then educated companies on how to share content the right way um, and help filter that content for journalists so that they could receive the things uh, that they really wanted to see rather than just a hailstorm of pitches um, into an inbox um, that yeah, aren't sort of 50% of which aren't relevant. So, I mean, what you're what you're describing is is, is is similar to what we are doing. Pile around is a double-sided marketplace, right? It's all, all all you're talking about, which wants to be aligned and share value with each other, and either quickly determine that something's not of valuable, or if it is a valuable, engage further, right? It's it's not. Uh, I know it seems incredibly hard to from personal experience, but when you talk about them, they're actually not rocket science. So the staggering thing is is why has it taken this long? I mean, none of the technology, I'm guessing this under the um, hood of MVPR and also under the hood of um, Pilotround, we've got some interesting APIs and stuff like that, but none of it is anything that could have been, couldn't have been created a few years ago, right, at least. And so it's, the question is what's so interesting from the founder tech conversation is what is it about now and this kind of convergence of like-minded people um, which is podcast is kind of highlighting, you know, like uh, who see it in the same way. And I think I, one of the answers is that you're getting founders coming through who are exiting and have their own capital who've sat in that seat and, and, and you know, just want it to be as agile, fluid, um, transparent as possible and aren't scared of that. Whereas people who have, a, uh, like you're describing the mid, you know, ages, the, the gatekeepers, people who have a, a dog in the race are kind of, you know, mediating that and holding that are very frightened of it. But it does feel like, there is a tide change where there is enough of a of that convergence um, to be able to, for people to say 
this is just how it's going to be. There's no there's no discussion here. And it is actually going to be better for everybody because it's going to unlock more potential and capacity for everyone. Do, do you agree with that? So, uh, yeah, to, to an extent, I think, yes. I think, um, I mean, if I look at the, the industry as a whole, I mean, make no mistake, right? Like there are owners of boutique agencies that have um, like invested in us um, and did so really early on because um, they know that what we're building will save them a ton of time and probably resource. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're basically building the technology that will replace, um, yeah, a lot of the really boring repetitive tasks right. that currently right. happen within agencies. Um, the, the blessing I would say for our industry as a whole is that um, the, the foundational um, sort of, I guess, actions, the repetitive actions that, that you would do in order to say, for example, uh, reach out to a journalist or uh, organize to send a press release out, they are the same, whether you're a, a you know, pre-seed stage startup or whether you're a listed publicly, like publicly traded company, the actual, the, 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 the repetitive actions of, of doing um, the step-by-step process you have to go through to, in order to share an announcement, uh, draft it, edit it, et cetera, um, they're the same. And so agency owners know that what we're doing now, even though we're currently predominantly working with startups, although we work with some SMBs now, and to be fair, a few listed companies as well, um, they know that what we're building, the core of it, will save them time ultimately too. Um, and I think that the reason that they're most receptive to it now, to be honest, is there are a number of things coming together that mean that they don't have it. They're no longer going to have a choice. Somebody is going to build this, um, and it's going to incorporate AI and it's going to incorporate GPT and it's going to use uh, big data in order to understand, you know, what journalists are writing about and who's accepting yeah. what and publishing what. They know this is coming. And so I think really it's it's an acceptance that you you actually just have to kind of use the tool, even if um, it kind of like threatens your business, because it's going to make you so much more effective. Um, and, you know, the, the best thing about it from our perspective is we often have companies or uh, yeah, founders who will uh, require their agency to use us. And because we bring so much transparency to the process and allow them to collaborate in the same place. Um, what often happens is, you know, the company will basically say, well, we have an agency already, um, but actually we'll, we'll bring them in. Um, we'll get them to use the, the product so that they can basically become more efficient themselves. Um, and so that we can see what they're doing because a large part of this sort of opaque PR industry, um, but the issue with the opaque PR industry is that um, there's no transparency. So, you know, you don't know whether you're, you're spending five grand a month and your PR agency is actually doing something or whether they're doing nothing. And, you know, by and large, there are some really great agencies out there who are doing a lot on behalf of their clients. And so by being able to lift that lid, um, we incentivize pretty much the whole industry to take action now um because it helps you know agencies retain their clients but also ultimately it helps you know startups and smbs to get coverage on their own um and have a clear understanding of exactly how the process works so i think that there are a lot of things coming together that mean this is a kind of situation that's going to happen or unfold in the next three or four years yeah um I, I think there is a parallel here to this, uh, this conversation I had with Chris Booth, who runs Finders, um, which is a talent um, recruitment agency for startups. Uh, they do work with bigger companies as well. And, and, and it was something similar in that 
he was talking about, you know, like uh, in recruitment, there are these middlemen, these gatekeepers, you know, and they have kind of slowed the process down. But smart founders, smart businesses, smart investors are going to increasingly look to people using it, like things like founders, but platforms like MVPI as kind of signals that the person, the people behind that are switched on, are forward thinking, are open for sort of like the the, the next phase of, of of growth in the market, and they're going to they're going to see it as a very very positive thing to, to be engaging, using, leveraging these platforms in intelligent ways, and I think that applies to what you're what you're talking about as well. That you know, in two three years, which is what the horizon that keeps coming up around founders, that in two three years the conversation we're having now will seem sort of redundant, but because it just seems so obvious and self self fulfilling, like why? Of course, it behaves like this, but that's not a very big time frame. And I think these these behavioural shifts that have taken a long 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 time, whether it's going to be a tsunami or it's just I mean a gradual iteration, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Well, um, it, it doesn't matter. It, it will happen. And I totally agree that, you know, you're either going to go with that or you're not. And if you push against it, I think there's people now realizing you might be left behind. But the but the good news is, is that it's open to everybody, right? The whole point about this new landscape is that it's open wherever you are. From a capital perspective, no matter where you are, in the, say in the UK, capital should flow to you if you are that domain expert and you're looking for that initial ticket. But equally, if you're generating, and I've heard you talk about this, well, if you're generating great content, and you said it just earlier, then really good journalists want that content, and therefore there shouldn't be a barrier in the way. So all of these things, this convergence, this sort of perfect storm of stuff, feels like it, this stuff, you know, what we're talking about will look a bit sort of almost childish in two, three years, because it would just be so self-evident. Do, do you have that sense? Well, yeah, look, and I, I think there are two other trends that are happening at the same time. Um, I think... Uh, you know, one capital is much harder to come by now than it was a year ago. Um, and that's very unlikely to change, at least in the near future. And so companies are a lot more cost um, yeah, conscious, um, spending on, you know, a range of uh, like different, say, you know, marketing, sales, even hiring. Um, all of these decision, these decisions happen in a, in a much more con- like a capital constrained environment. So yeah. What's happening is a lot of people are looking at the subscriptions or the um, or the, the yeah the the retainers that they're paying, um, and they're running assessments against them and working out you know are we seeing ROI of this spend or not, um, and how clearly is that ROI being displayed, um, and so that kind of leads to my second the kind of second stream here, which is um, I think there are a lot of companies that are coming along and they are uh, providing data insight to industries that previously didn't have any data insight within them. Um, and they are taking market share as a result because, you know, we all know that the most defensible part of, uh, you know, our businesses over the next three, four years, to use that timeline, um, is going to be the data that we collect. And, you know, things like, G- I'm sure GPT comes up a lot on y- your podcast recently, but um, applying you know, GPT along, uh, on its own is not a defensible, um, uh, yeah, sort of ap- like technology application because the, the tech itself is becoming so smart um, that it can it, it can literally look at what you're doing and then um, adapt so that it could even incorporate it into into its own its own it, yeah into OpenAI's model or, or wherever it is. But ChatGPT plus an enormous amount of data that we're collecting certainly, um, but I'm sure other companies are collecting too 
means that you're you're constantly building that sensibility um, and making it harder and harder for other people to to, to copy you because you have uh, so yeah so much data to build um, yeah build your fu- the future actions of your customers on. Um, and when I look at us specifically, um, yeah, the sheer amount of data that we're able to collect that informs companies on how to reach out to journalists, which journalists to reach out to, with specifically which messages, you know, how likely it is that a journalist will respond to them. This is information that has existed um, you know, inherently in the industry for you know decades, but it's kept in you know the minds and the personal relationships of every individual person that works at a PR agency or works as a contractor. And they might, you know, inherently know that journalist X or Y will respond to them within a given time frame, but they ha- they don't know that empirically. They've got no way of saying, you know, this journalist has a 70% likelihood of, of, of publishing, but we can do that because we've got the technology that collects that kind of information. And so, you know, this combination of companies having a much tighter hold on their purse string um, and trying to assess, you know, what the ROI is that's coming in from you know, retainers with these large agencies or mid-sized agencies, um, coupled with the fact that we can bring so much data that's capable of actually educating those companies themselves how to do PR, and in many cases, potentially how to do PR better than agency. Um, those two things are kind of converging, and we're seeing a lot of companies that are churning their, you know, freelancers um, or boutique agencies and coming down to us because, um, yeah, we're able to put a level of data behind the actions that we're actually doing um, or the actions they're doing on our platform um, that helps to improve in the future. Um, so those are two streams I can see kind of converging, yeah. as you say, at the moment as well. I think, I think it's spot on. And let's, let's project, let's, let's go to three years uh, ahead. Let's pretend um, you're a founder and I'm an investor, right? And, the, and you've been using MVPR for two, three years. Talk to me about that situation, which you must envisage sort of when you're kind of, you know, in your marketing innovation, dev team, dev conversations about how will you as a founder leverage this data into a conversation with an investor? Like how, how that, how will that residual of data that will accrue? And let's talk about that from the perspective of I'm an investor, but maybe I'm also a co-founder coming on board or a CEO coming on board. Like talk about how, that, that, that residual data that builds is becoming, you know, like almost like, you know, data is the new oil. Like, what we're talking about here is there's a whole new layer of value in early stage companies. Can you, can you talk to that? Well, so for us, what you're earning with data is certainty. Um, so at the moment, there's no certainty at all. You don't, you don't know that a journalist will come back to you. There's no certainty that they'll, they'll write about you. There's no certainty that you're, they're even the right journalists to speak to. Um, because ultimately, when you're thinking about, you know, which journalists to speak to, you, you should be thinking about the audience that you want to target, um, literally the readers that you want to get in front of. Um, you know, and journalists are beholden to their readers. Um, so they're ultimately going to only publish things that are going to provide value or be interesting, engaging for their readers. Um, and so in three years' time, what I can see is just a, a great deal more certainty that one, the, you know, the journalist that you're reaching out to has an audience uh, that it fits with your ICP, so your ideal customer profile. Um, and w- when those two things line up, you know that you're, uh, well, one, you know that 
content you create is going to be relevant for the people you're trying to sell to. And two, you know that the content you create is going to be relevant for the journalist audience. And so there's going to be a lot more certainty that, yeah, the the journalist that you're pitching, so to speak, is uh, also the right right journalist to be pitching. And the content that you're creating is going to be engaging for the audience that you want it to appeal to. Um, so kind of that's like part one. Um, part two is you're going to have a lot more certainty that when you actually need to, when it comes to calculating what the return investment is for the marketing spend that you're, you're, you're spending in the PR space, that it is actually trackable and measurable in a way that's consistent with current marketing streams. So if you, if you look at a kind of cost per click or cost per view, and you know, you can say what you like about cost per impression, which has come under, um, yeah, a little bit of scrutiny recently. Um, by having a much closer understanding of who's specifically reading an article, uh, which I think we'll get to. I think we'll get to that, that, you know, that, that moment where journalists or publications are sharing um, engagement metrics um, with, you know, ever agencies, but certainly tech platforms so that they can consistently share the best content. Um, you'll be able to see how many views and clicks your article that was, you know, placed in Madness or TechEU received. Um, and at that moment, then, you know, the, the PR industry opens up and is then, uh, yeah, kind of much, much more accessible because it's much more measurable. And, and, and when that happens, you'll be able to present to your investors and say, hey, look, you know, we've got six marketing channels running at the moment, of which PR is one of them. Um, you know, this is how our, you know, yeah, uh, content marketing strategy is going. This is how our social media strategy is going. You know, this is how our, you know, paid ads above the line is going. And they'll all be measurable against the same metrics rather than having to rely on, frankly, still super legacy approaches to measuring the, I don't know, number of impressions your you know, PR campaign got. And we've all seen the statistics or received those reports, certainly. And sadly, sometimes sent those reports where they say, you know, we, we got 10 million impressions or something on the last campaign. And you just think, did you really? <laughs> I wasn't even aware, that, you know, um, you had 10 million customers. Um, or 10 million people that would be applicable as customers. And so, you know, it's it's just about certainty. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a second thing that's happening alongside, at least definitely, is um, on the journalist side that we also build for, um, there's a lot more certainty from journalists that the content they're receiving is not only going to be high quality to begin with, but also they're not going to be missing anything. Because I know that journalists, you know, journalists, some of our mentors, for example, receive three or 400 emails a day. It is impossible for them to touch their inbox. And so they know they're missing stuff. Um, and so I, I think there's going to be a lot greater certainty around the right content being read by the right audiences um, and the fair distribution of it, whether that's, you know, still, a, whether it's still a journalist in the loop or whether, you know, the newsroom is is largely AI driven and the journalist is the editor after that. We'll see. Um, but that's where I see it going. Do you think um, that this feeds into so a, a lot a lot of the change initially sort of for me drove the insight into founder tech was the reduction of importance on the MVP as being a chief indicator of progress and traction. So when no code, low code came around and VCs sort of seeded that line and said, you know, okay, you don't have to have a working product because that's no longer really that, that, that reliable an indicator. 
Um, and and then that opens up a whole sort of like um, white space, you know, so, so suddenly there's new possibilities. One of the things that you hear in that is obviously they are looking for other indicators of progress and value and uniqueness and exceptionalism. And it's you hear a lot that actually now, alongside no-code, low-code uh, approaches for the product, you can build thought leadership um, and they expect you to, to see you sort of build a trail of maybe three to six months of uh, thought leadership based on your founder market fit, based on your d- domain expertise. And this is now obviously merged and blended into your content strategy, right? So I'm wondering that whether what you are talking about is even really called PR or content or comms or whether there is, you know, you've been discussing another term for it because it does sound like it's like a, a third way, is it, where there's, a, there's something else emerging here, particularly when you overlay the data transparency and insights that you've been talking about. Um, and, and in real time, you can see, you know, how many people you're reaching via which journalistic nodes, all that kind of once you can see all that. Is it even PR anymore or is it something else? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, so I think, truthfully, we use the word PR because uh, that's what people understand. Um, sure. You know, I, realistically, you know, I think of us as a content marketplace. We've got companies that want to share content on one side and we've got journalists that want to find it on the other side. Um, and what we really do is we match make. We, we pair the right, the right companies and the right content with the right journalists. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we collect data about how they interact with each other. Um, that's, that's how I see us. Um, but we use the term PR because yeah, it's, uh, it's recognizable. Um, and people sort of vaguely, un- vaguely understand what you mean when you say PR. Sure. Um, but it, it's distribution, it's content distribution. Um, and you know, at the moment, if I look at the kind of content we're distributing, it's mostly written content, occasionally, you know, audio. Um, but I think there's going to be a really interesting proliferation of, of, of the kinds of content that we share um, and the kind of content that people are listening to um, or, or, or reading about, um, just in terms of the kind of form of it. Um, and then I think the way that people consume news is going to change radically as well. Um, if, I, if I even think about the trends that I'm seeing now, you know, generally speaking, the long reads that, that we, we encounter uh, in our own personal lives they tend to come you know, via email because someone's forwarded a newsletter or perhaps via newsletter themselves. Um, they can often come from listening to an hour-long pod- podcast somewhere that someone has recommended. Um, you know, these things are these things are coming into your field of view personally, either you know, on private, you know, social channels mostly. Um, and so I think there's gonna be I can what I can see beginning to happen is especially with the advent of GPT and how how easy and much faster it is to create high quality content. Um, right for more and more niche audiences uh, and you've got this whole kind of um yeah you have this whole uh, i think sort of movement of freelance writers or not even freelance writers but professionals that want to share their views are writing really in-depth interesting analytical pieces on and they're showing them on substack or they're showing on the medium uh, and and those are also being dropped into everyone's view and so you have all of these kind of competing some you know institutions that you recognize like a tech crunch or sifted but then you also have these highly followed substacks or or just medium posts by specific individuals that have you know, another job entirely. Um, and what's happening is the distribution of that is happening much, much more locally. And so one of the things I'm excited for is how we are going to be able to support you know, the next generation, the next wave of writers that's looking for you know, essentially inspiration 
um, yeah. or content to talk about with their very niche specific um, readers or re- yeah. Uh, so it's, it sounds like what actually what you're talking about is almost like CI, it's like content intelligence, because it, it sounds like the next layer of this, that when it all works, like you said, you've got this writer on Substack, this really deep point of view that may have, you know, let's say a thousand really interested people, which is much more valuable to you than, you know, uh, you know, an abstracted kind of piece that's, that's written by general, generalist journalist. And, and, but it's the intelligence, it's sort of like the plumbing, what you're saying is like you're the plumbing that connects the, the content generator with the content receiver. And almost then that creates this content intelligence that actually is a lot more meaningful. And you can actually look at the data and there's this residue of data and you can actually sort of like export that content intelligence into other conversations. It, it sounds like whether that's the right term, it sounds like that's what you're talking about. Like this emergence of this new currency, this other, this other, that, 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 that emerges out of the convergence and the removal of the middleman that everything you've described. Um, yeah, that, that, which sounds super interesting. Does that, does that, have you, again, have you, have you, have you sort of brainstormed a term for it? Cause I do think there is a term there, um, that to describe it. I get obviously why you, you've, you've launched with PR makes complete sense, but maybe we're moving into sort of the, where, where language in this space is actually really important because it helps define something new. And it's like the language that kind of feels familiar, but also gets you somewhere new, um, is, is really, you know, so you have like pitch space, you know, which is Sir Ken's, uh, who yeah. on a couple of, you know, and when you hear him talk about it, it's like, you know, he, he yes, it's an initially a pitch builder tool that's more effective and more interesting, but actually the next iterations are much more interesting. They're actually a whole environment in which you're continually pitching to all of your stakeholders. And that's, you know, and, and that's updating in real time. And it sounds like that's what you're describing. Do you have any without, if, if they're confidential, obviously don't, don't say them, but do you have any, have you ever sort of floated any other terms around? <laughs> um, we haven't, not, not beyond a kind of content marketplace. Um, right. Yeah. T- truthfully, I, Openly, we've been so focused on building um, for the last for the last. We've not been around very long for the last sort of just nearly two years. Yeah. Um, uh, my my lovely girlfriend had to drag me over the line to have a rebrand the first time. So much right. so she, she she gifted me a uh, she gifted me our, our first set of set prop second proper set of logos. Um, so, but but you know, take nothing away from that. That's something that we need we definitely need to look at um, for sure. Um, it's a necessary part of kind of every business maturity. Um, but I think that, that there's, there are a few other things I think that are also, um, also gonna, going to arise. Um, and I think, you know, one of them is I can, I can see a moment in time where, um, people are going to want to see how factually accurate, uh, the article that they're reading is. Um, and it's going to be possible. Yeah. Um, whereas currently it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, because you have to look at the provenance of the information that's shared yeah. in the article yeah. um, and the order in which it's shared in. Um, but one of the things that um, our platform is doing um, in the way that we collect information from companies, because uh, that's what we information from companies. And then we, uh, based on the information they share with us, we work out which journalists are going to be relevant for them and what to pitch them um, that aligns with that company's messaging. Um, but in the collection of that information in the first place, um, we are able to verify it. And so I could see a moment in time arrive where actually, you know, the major publications of this world are going to want to have a, this could even just be a, you know, a small graph, which says, you know, there's 17, we, we verified 79% of the um, uh, information in this article. Um, and 
we are also going to be able to support that. Um, and that's that's something that's you know I'm really excited about because I think uh, yeah it, it's going to become I mean it's already a zeitgeist um, the idea of fake news is it's it's, it's already a zeitgeist but the idea of being able to actually fact check the content that you're reading and even maybe set a threshold and say look I don't want to read articles that that have uh, you know less than eighty percent verified um, it's going to be possible um, and I think that's you know that's also a part of this. Um, and then f finally, the, the programmatic placement of content. Um, at the moment, you know, you and I, if we go onto the FT um, and we look up you know, the tech section and look for John Thornhill's most recent article, we're going to read the same article. Um, but I can see a moment arising again, and we're a bit very much building for this, um, where we can programmatically place content um, in real time based on the reader that's reading it so you know if you're based in if you're based in london for example and i'm based in amsterdam and we're both reading a you know piece of news about climate technology the uh, the example that you will read will be a uh, you know london-based disaster and the example i read will be a, a amsterdam-based disaster and that will inherently engage us more um, in the article, but ultimately the author, so to speak, will be the, the same, but the, the content that you're, you're, you're reading will be slightly different and it'll be much, much, much more localized. Um, and I think that that's an incredibly interesting trend as well. Again, something I can see happening in maybe not three or four years, but certainly sort of five years, um, and beyond. Um, I mean, it's, it's highly likely that AI is going to facilitate that. And, uh, we've seen how fast, uh, that has developed over the last six months alone. So who knows? Maybe it could be two years. Yeah, um, I don't think we've got time to uh, fully unpack that. I think what you've talked about is at least another three-hour-long conversation about. <laughs> but I do think there is something interesting about see seeing yourself as like a, a, a generator and receiver, right? Like you know, you're generating content. I, I actually don't like that term at all. I think it devalues what really good insight is. Like, you know, almost intelligence insight is better. But you're generating that, but somebody wants to receive that, and then they'll and then they're broadcasting that. There is a whole model there. And then all the data that ensues that is that is a, is where I think where all this lands, whatever it's called, in, you know, whatever, and that whatever the 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 actual the, the terminology, I think it lands in that place, and I think it lands in that place where investors are just going to want to see that as standard. Um, and and it and, and what it does is it does give. A, a, a massive proponent of this, like again, pilot round is built around this idea, is that I believe that if you have high founder market fit. Which means basically you spent you know five ten years thinking about a problem in a unique way, and you have a way of navigating through you know that that market challenge and navigating uh, market barrier with not a lot of money just to kind of get off the ground. If you're that that person, you have a lot of intelligence, right? You've done a lot of that thinking. You're moving in really interesting circles. You're subscribed to really interesting things that are highly correlated and localized to what you're launching. What we need and what you're describing is how to how to to facilitate that world where that person can broadcast themselves be received you know you, you, you take my point it's it's a whole other way of thinking of yourself but i think again why now is that smart founders have started to think of themselves in that way and smart in investors that are looking for signals that are pre-product that say hey it's been called subsurface cues on the podcast hey um th this this founder is really smart are going to be behaving this way and they're going to need tools anyway we haven't got time to unpack that. Maybe uh, at the event next week, uh, we, we can do that. But um, uh, passing the mic yeah, to you, to. yeah, as a final thing, um, is there any if people are listening to this um, and they are thinking this is super interesting 
And aside from kind of getting in contact with you, want to use the platform, uh, the thunder has literally started outside the window, so you might be able to hear that. Um, but you know, how do they? How do who? How do they uh, make contact? What's the next step? Um, the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, super simple. We, we have a um, we have a, a spot on our website. Uh, it's mvpr.io, um, where you can key your email in, and we will send you. Um, either link to demo or to the onboarding, um, or you can email me, um, tom at mvpr.io um, will also work. Um, and yeah, drop me a message, let me know what you're looking for. Um, also, if, you know, you might just want advice or perspective on uh, broadly the industry more generally and what like the strategy that you should adopt. Um, similarly, like follow up with an email. Um, would love to speak with you, um, of course. Um, Pretty simple, really. Um, so that's my shameless plug, Dan. <laughs> Wasn't that shameless? It was uh, pretty to the point. Uh, um, okay, well, obviously, we'll put those links. They can, they can find you. You're very easy to find that. Um, I'll put those links to that and your LinkedIn. Um, Tom, it's, it, it's a real pleasure, honestly, to, to sort of... What's so interesting to me is that the founder tech conversation encompasses and kind of creeps into so many kind of ancillary other areas. And I think what you're doing... Is, is absolutely adjacent to everything else we talk to. And, and then what's interesting is how they do come together as some kind of jigsaw once you start to kind of unpack and understand how they were. So um, yeah, thanks for taking the time to give us an insight into that. I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me.